Section 5 of Wayside and Woodland Trees, A Pocket Guide to the British Silva, by Edward Stepp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Native Trees and Shrubs, Part 5 The juniper, Juniperus communis, is seldom more than a shrub a few feet in height, though it occasionally develops into a small tree from ten to twenty feet high, and with a girth of five feet. It has a fibrous red bark which flakes off like that of the yew. The leaves are shaped like a cobbler's awl, rigid and end in sharp points. They have thickened margins, the concave upper sides are glaucous, and they are arranged round the branches in whorls of three. The male and female flowers are on separate trees. The male catkin may be known in May by its numerous anthers and pale yellow pollen. The female catkins will be found in the axils of the leaves and resemble buds. The scales are fleshy, and after fertilization the upper ones slowly develop into the form of a berry, which has a few undeveloped scales at its base. They do not ripen until the following year, when they are blue-black, covered with a fine glaucous bloom. They have a pungent flavor which is utilized in concocting gin, which indeed owes its name to this fact, the word being merely a contraction of genevirier, the French form of juniper. The berries have long been known as a kidney stimulant, a fact which has been fully utilized as the justification of every gin drinker. A beautiful little moth, Hypsilophus marginellus, may often be taken about the juniper upon which its caterpillar feeds. To appreciate the variety of forms assumed by the juniper according to the elevation at which it grows, it should be seen on slopes like those of the North Downs in Surrey. One portion of the range at Mickleham is named Juniper Hill. In the valleys it may be found as a small, shapely tree. Higher up the slopes, as a pyramidal shrub, and as we reach higher and more exposed positions, the juniper gradually dwindles to a low, shapeless bush. This, however, must not be confounded with a distinct variety to which the name nana has been applied. It differs from the type in having shorter and broader overlapping leaves with curved tips. Var nana is confined to the mountains of the north of our islands and ascends to 2,700 feet, which is 300 feet higher than is recorded of the type. The Virginian juniper, Juniperus virginiana, or red cedar, as it is called on the American continent, is a much larger plant, which is frequently planted in our parks and gardens. It varies in habit, and may be low and spreading, bush-like, or tall and tapering, thirty to forty feet high. Its leaves are in threes, like those of our native species, but the three are united by their bases. It is with the red heartwood of this tree that our cedar pencils are covered, large quantities of the timber of J. Virginiana and formerly of J. Bermudiana being imported for this purpose. The Virginian juniper has been with us for many years. It is mentioned by Evelyn in his Silva, 1664, and is believed to have been introduced by him from North America. The Scots pine, Pinus sylvestris, common but incorrectly styled Scotch fir, is the typical pine tree of northern Europe, where, especially in Russia and northern Germany, it constitutes huge forests. 
it is even said to cover far wider tracts of country than any other forest tree although there is evidence that in ancient days it was pretty widely distributed over britain today all those pine woods of southern england are the results of planting and it is only in a few places between yorkshire and sutherland and in ireland that it can be regarded as truly wild and indigenous mr john nisbet points out that the term pine forest is a bit of tautology for the old german word forst was derived from foraha now represented by forhe a fir or pine so that a pine forest is equivalent to pine pine however the etymologists will probably allow us to speak of pine woods and we will try to remember that when we use the word forest it must always indicate an assemblage of pine trees in favorable soil at a moderate elevation the scots pine is a fine tree a hundred feet high with a rough barked trunk whose girth is twelve feet under such conditions it develops a strong tap root which goes deep but where the soil is shallow or otherwise unfavorable the tap root is not developed at great elevations the upward growth is checked early and it becomes a mere evergreen bush the branches are short and spreading those on the lower portions of the trunk dying early so that the tree soon gets that gaunt weather-beaten look that is so characteristic of it then after the growth of the leading shoot has become feeble the upper branches continue to lengthen and so bring about that flat-topped condition its growth is rapid and in twenty years it will attain a height of forty or fifty feet the leaves which are in bundles of two are from two to three inches long very slender grooved above and convex beneath they remain on the tree for over two years and in their first season are of a glaucous hue but in the second year this changes to dark deep green both male and female flowers are borne by the same tree the male catkins are individually small one quarter inch but are combined in spikes this and the abundant pale yellow pollen makes them conspicuous the female cones are somewhat egg-shaped tapering to a point which is often curved they are usually in clusters of three and grow to a length of two or three inches the scales are comparatively few and their ends are thickened into an irregular four-sided boss at first ending in a little point the seeds are winged and contained beneath the scales they take about eighteen months to ripen when the scales separate in dry windy weather and allow the breeze to pick out the seeds and send them flying through the air to a great distance the pollen too it should be noted is of a form specially fitted for aerial transport each particle of pollen forming two connected spheres it is quite a common experience in may to find little heaps of this pollen collected in hollows and at the margins of ponds in the neighborhood of pine woods but so difficult is it to get people to understand the common facts of nature that it is generally regarded as evidence of a shower of brimstone having fallen it is not only the ignorant rustic who falls into this error judging from the letters sent to the press by country parsons even the universities fail to prepare their alumni to deal with such phenomena after the eruptions of la soufriere several wrote to say that quantities of powdered sulphur from st vincent had descended in their surrey and hampshire parishes their notion being that the commercial flowers of sulphur are the direct produce of volcanoes 
although the wood produced by the scots pine in this country is not considered of the highest quality the species is certainly of equal value as a timber producer with any other tree owing to our mild winters and long periods of seasonal growth the pine wood produced in britain is coarse-grained and not very durable in the colder parts of northern europe where summers are short and the long winters are severe the texture of the timber is more solid and the grain closer and so enormous quantities of pine wood come to us from the baltic ports every year in addition to the timber other valuable substances known to commerce are products of the scots pine pitch and tar resin and turpentine for example the pine is an accommodating tree for though it likes a deep soil in which to strike its tap root it will grow upon rocky ground where the roots have to become horizontal and near the surface or it will form forests on poor sandy soils even on the loose hot sands near the seashore this is a valuable power because the fall of its needle gradually forms a humus and so provides food for other plants which could not exist on raw sand other coniferous trees that have become more or less familiar in our plantations and parks will be found in the second division of this book the holly ilix aquifolium the holly must be regarded as one of our small trees although many specimens attain a height of forty or fifty feet with a girth of ten or twelve feet it is well distributed throughout our islands ascending to a thousand feet and it is probable that no other tree is so well known by its foliage at least as the holly or holm to give its ancient name the word holm was incorporated by some of our ancestors far back in the name holmesdale which still attaches to the stretch of country at the southern foot of the chalk hills in surrey and whose proud motto is never won ne never shall at the western end of the holmesdale is holmwood and still a little further west holmbury in these places the holly still grows bravely not far from the old home of john evelyn who must be thought of whenever we talk of hollies though the recollection has to do with say's court his thameside house where the barbarian peter wrought such havoc with his cherished holly hedge how evelyn must have lamented that outrage is indicated in this extract from the silva is there under heaven a more glorious and refreshing object of the kind than an impregnable hedge of about four hundred feet in length nine feet high and five in diameter which i can show in my now ruined gardens at say's court thanks to the czar of moscovy at any time of the year glittering with its armed and varnished leaves the taller standards at orderly distance blushing with their natural coral it mocks the rudest assaults of the weather beasts or hedge breakers et illum nimu impune lacessit the bark of the holly is smooth and pale gray in color time out of mind it has been used in the preparation of a viscid substance known as bird lime which spread on twigs holds the feet of small birds respecting the foliage of the holly there is little need to say anything but for uniformity's sake we may note that the leaves are oval in shape of a leathery consistence with a firmer margin running out into long sharp spines it is a fact worthy of note that when the holly has attained to a height of ten feet or so it frequently clothes its upper branches in leaves that have no spines a circumstance that robert southey sought to explain in his poem the holly tree on teleological grounds 
his second verse however contains sufficient explanation of the fact it describes below a circling fence its leaves are seen wrinkled and keen no grazing cattle through their prickly round can reach to wound but as they grow where nothing is to fear smooth and unarmed the pointless leaves appear in some places the young shoots are gathered by the peasants dried bruised and used as a winter cattle food no doubt in the early history of the holly cattle found out its good qualities for themselves and browsed upon the then unarmed foliage in self-defense the tree developed spines upon its leaves and so kept its enemies at a respectful distance above the reach of these marauders the production of spines would be a useless waste of material the flowers of the holly though small are conspicuous by their great number and white color they are about a quarter of an inch across with four petals and four stamens or stigmas sometimes flowers with stamens are produced by the same tree that bears flowers with stigmas but often the male and the female flowers are borne by separate trees so that the possessor of a holly that is solely male is sometimes puzzled by the fact that his tree though covered with blossoms never produces a berry the fruit is analogous in structure to that of the plum and cherry and is technically termed a droop but instead of the single stone of these fruits in the holly berry there are four bony little stones each with its contained seed the berries ripen about september and are then scarlet and glossy though here and there one finds a tree whose fruit never gets beyond the yellow stage of coloration most parts of the tree have had their uses in medicine the leaves for example being said to have value as a febrifuge and the berries as a purgative or in large doses six to eight as an emetic the smooth bark of large hollies is often attacked by one of the most striking of our native lichens graphis elegans whose black fruiting portions look like a raised cuneiform inscription the holly is not greatly subjected to the attacks of insects but many of its leaves will be found to have been tunneled between the upper and lower skins by the larva of a minute moth one of the leaf miners it also provides the pabulum for the caterpillar of the holly blue butterfly lysena argiolus the dead leaves may be examined for the minute prickly scale helix aculeata the wood of the holly has an exceedingly fine grain due to its slow growth and it is very hard and white these qualities make it valuable for many purposes often as a substitute for boxwood and when dyed black in lieu of ebony the spindle tree euonymus europaeus the spindle is right on the borderland between trees and shrubs for though it will grow into a tree twenty feet high yet our hedgerow specimens are usually bush-like and only ten or twelve feet high until the autumn the spindle we fear is rarely recognized as such but gets confused with the buckthorn and dogwood in october however its quaint fruits have changed to a pale crimson hue which renders them the most conspicuous feature of a hedgerow even of one plentifully decorated with scarlet hips and haws and byrony berries the unusual tint of the spindle and the fact that it swings on a slender stalk at once mark it out from the rigid stalked hips and haws the trunk of the spindle is clothed in smooth gray bark the twigs which are in pairs starting from opposite sides of a branch are four angled the shining leaves vary from egg-shaped to lance-shaped with finely toothed edges 
they are arranged in pairs and in autumn they change to yellow and red when bruised they give off a fetid odor the juice is acrid and said to be poisonous a charge which is laid against the bark flowers and seed as well the small greenish white flowers are borne in loose clusters of the type known as chymes from the axils of the leaves and appear in may and june some contain both stamens and pistil but others are either staminate or pistillate the calyx is cut into four or six parts the petals and stamens agree with these parts in number but the lobes of the stigma only range from three to five corresponding with the cells of the ovary the fruit is deeply lobed and marked with grooves indicating the lines of future division when the lobes open and disclose the seeds at first covered with their orange jackets or arils after the manner of the mace that encloses the nutmeg the hardness and toughness of spindle wood has long been esteemed in the fashioning of small wares where these qualities are essential and the common name is a survival of the days when spinning was the occupation of every woman then spindles were in demand for winding the spun thread upon and no wood was more suitable than that of Ionimus for making them it shares with the cornel cornus sanguinea the name dogwood it is also skewer wood prickwood and pegwood all suggestive of uses to which it is or was applied the young shoots make a very fine charcoal for artists use the spindle is indigenous throughout our islands but cannot be said to be generally common it is rarer in scotland and ireland than in england among the exotic species cultivated in our parks and gardens are the handsome variegated forms of the evergreen spindle euonymus japonicus of china and japan and the broad-leafed spindle e latifolius from europe the buckthorns romnus our two native species of buckthorn are shrubs of from five to ten feet in height in this one respect they agree in almost all others they differ both are buckthorns in name but the breaking buckthorn romnus frangula is quite unarmed whilst many of the branchlets of the purging buckthorn romnus catharticus are hardened into spines the purging buckthorn is distinguished by its stiff habit and by some of the leaves being gathered into bundles at the ends of the shoots the leaves are egg-shaped with toothed edges and of a yellowish-green tint with short leaf stalks the yellowish-green flowers are very small and will be found both singly and in clusters from the leaf axils there are a four cleft calyx four petals four stamens or four stigmas for the sexes are usually on separate plants the fruit is black round and about a quarter of an inch across containing four stones these so-called berries are ripe in september formerly they were much used as a purging medicine but of so violent a character that their use has come to be discouraged and the safer syrup of buckthorn is prescribed instead the juice of these berries is the raw material from which the artist's sap green is prepared it may be found in woods thick hedgerows and bushy places on commons southward of westmoreland showing a decided preference for chalky soils in ireland it only occurs rarely the breaking buckthorn romnus frangula is also known as the berry bearing alder its leaves with their lateral veins presenting something of the appearance of the alder its more slender stems are purplish brown in hue and all the leaves are arranged alternately up the stems 
the leaves further differ from those of r catharticus in having plain untoothed edges and their veins parallel to one another the flowers are similar in size to those of the other species but are whiter less yellow fewer in number and on longer stalks the parts of the flower too are in fives instead of fours and the berry though similar to the previous species is much larger half inch diameter in an unripe condition these fruits yield a good green dye much used by calico printers and others the wood made into charcoal is said to be the best for the purposes of the gunpowder makers who know it by the name of black dogwood the straight shoots of both species are used for forming walking and umbrella sticks and those of longer growth for pea and bean sticks the brimstone butterfly goniopteryx romney lays its eggs on the leaves of our frangula upon which the larva feeds the name buckthorn appears to be due to an ancient misunderstanding of the german name buckstorn which should have been translated boxthorn wild plums prunus communis with the single exception of the hazel all of our native fruit trees are members of the extensive and beautiful rose family before roman invasions brought improved and cultivated varieties our rude forefathers must have been glad to eat the sloes crabs and wild cherries that are now regarded as too terribly crude and austere in an uncooked condition for any stomach but that of the natural boy which appears capable of surviving any ill treatment some authors have regarded the wild plum and the bullace as being specifically distinct from the slow and from each other but the modern view is that their differences only entitle them to rank as subspecies of the slow and as such they will be regarded here the slow or blackthorn prunus communis is the rigid many-branched shrub with stiletto-like tips that luxuriates on some of our commons and in our hedgerows the blackish bark that gives its name to the shrub forms a fine foil in march or april for the pure white starry blossoms that brave the cold blasts before the leaf buds dare unfurl their coverings in some places as in cornwall where it is the principal hedge plant and where cliffs creeks and river banks are bordered by it these bare black or purple stems are almost hidden by the abundant growth of the gray lichen avernia prunasteri in this the typical form the branches and twigs turn in every direction so that it is impossible to thrust one's hand into a blackthorn bush without getting considerably scratched the well-known flower consists of a five-lobed calyx five white petals and from fifteen to twenty stamens round the single carpel the stigma matures in advance of the stamens so that it has usually been fertilized by bee-borne pollen from another slow before its own anthers have disclosed their pollen the fruit is about half an inch across globose in form and held erect upon its short stalk black but its blackness hidden by a delicate bloom that gives it a purplish glaucous hue terribly harsh are these fruits to the palate and a mere bite at an unripe one is sufficient to set teeth on edge and contract the muscles of mouth and face and yet when the tight jacket of the slow begins to relax and pucker the juice condenses into more mealy flesh and the acridity passes one may eat not one but a dozen slowly enjoying the piquancy of each before swallowing country people make them into wine and it used to be said that much is sold as port has in its origin the skins of british sloes instead of portuguese grapes and for special use for the stomach's sake 
old wife followers of st paul pin their faith to gin in which sloes have soaked for months in the days of our youth it was a stock jibe against the grocer that most of his china tea had been grown on blackthorn bushes not far from home and with tea at five or six shillings a pound there may have been some basis of truth for the belief but with the prices of to-day it may be presumed that blackthorn leaves would cost the dealer at least as much as real tea leaves from assam and darjeeling the bullis prunus cominus subspecies institia differs from the sloe in having brown bark the branches straight and only a few of them ending in spines the leaves larger broader more coarsely toothed and downy on the underside the flowers too have broader petals and the fruit which may be black or yellow droops and is between three quarters and one inch in diameter in many places where this grows it can only be regarded as an escape from cultivation the wild plum prunus communis subspecies domestica has also brown bark its branches straight and not ending in spines the downiness noticed on the underside of the bolus leaves is here restricted to the ribs on the leaf the fruit attains a diameter of an inch or an inch and a half although found occasionally in hedgerows this subspecies is not indigenous in any part of our islands hooker says the only country in which it is really indigenous is western asia but its numerous cultivated forms are widely distributed it should be noted that the fruits of the blackthorn and its subspecies are formed within the flower so are those of the cherries to be next described the ovary being botanically termed superior that is above the base of the calyx and corolla when the flower is in an erect position this is a point of some importance when one seeks to understand the different formation of the fruit in so closely related a species as the apple in which the ovary is inferior or below the flower wild cherries prunus avium nature has been comparatively lavish in the matter of cherries for she has bestowed three species upon the british islands for the cultivated cherry it is said that we ought to thank the romans as for many other good things in the way of food pliny states that we had the cherry in britain by the middle of the first century a d evelyn tells us that the cherry orchards of kent owe their origin to the plain industry of one richard haynes a printer to henry the eighth by whom the fields and environs of about thirty towns in kent only were planted with fruit trees from flanders to the unusual benefit and general improvement of the county to this day it is probable however that our own countrymen had already effected some improvement on the wild sorts by cultivation for even in the woods some trees are found bearing fruit much larger and of better flavor than usual and such would be selected for cultivation our three natives are the wild or dwarf cherry prunus serarsus the jean p avium and the bird cherry p padus of these the gene is the species most widely distributed throughout our country and therefore we give it precedence the gene prunus avium is a tree that in suitable soils attains a height of thirty or forty feet with short stout branches that take an upward direction the leaves are large broadly oval with sharp toothed edges and downy on the underside they always droop from the branches and in spring they are of a bronzy brown tint which afterwards changes to pale green 
soon after the leaves have unfolded they are almost hidden by the umbels of wide open white flowers which have soft heart-shaped petals and whose anthers and stigmas mature simultaneously the firm fleshed droop is heart-shaped black or red sweet or bitter with scanty juice which stains the fingers this is believed to be the original wild stock from which our modern black hearts and bigoreau cherries have been evolved by the cultivator the dwarf or wild cherry prunus sarasus is more bush-like than tree-like for it sends up a great number of suckers around the main stem the branches are slender and drooping the leaves which are of similar shape to those of p avium are smooth and deep blue green in tint with round toothed edges the flowers are not so widely open as in the previous species but retain more of the cup shape whilst the notched petals are firmer in consistence and oval in shape the droop is in this species round with red skin and juicy flesh of a distinctly acid character the juice does not stain as does that of p avium the morello or brandy cherry the may duke and the kentish cherries are considered to be derived from this species this does not extend further north than yorkshire in ireland it is rare the bird cherry prunus padus forms a tree from ten to twenty feet in height with more elliptic leaves which have their edges doubly cut into fine teeth the flowers are not clustered in umbels as in both the foregoing but in a loose raceme from lateral spurs of new growth the flowers are erect when they open and the stigmas mature before the anthers so that cross fertilization is favored in this species after fertilization the flower droops to be out of the way of the bees in their visits to the unfertilized blossoms the petals in this species look as if their edges had been gnawed the droops are small black and very bitter with a wrinkled stone this is a northern species not coming further south than leicestershire and south wales all three species flower in late april or early may cherry wood is strong fine-grained and of a red color it is easily worked and susceptible of a high polish so that it is in request by cabinet makers turners and musical instrument makers end of section five